Welcome to Don't Stand on the Footrest. I'm here today with Ryan Gonzalez of Church California and Church Barber in San Francisco, California. I've been a huge fan of their barbershop for some time now and was recently gifted some of their Church California product line to test out in the shop. Wanted to connect with Ryan and discuss the inspiration behind the two businesses and what their future holds. Hope you enjoy. Tell me a little bit about Church, um, when it opened, the inspiration behind it. I think the build out is absolutely stunning. It's, I think, one of the prettiest barbershops in the country. I absolutely love it. I love your guys' social media. I love what you guys are doing. I think the branding is super cool. We'll get to the products in a little bit. Um, obviously, you sent those. Thanks again for that. I just love what you guys are doing. So I'd love to hear kind of thank you history and kind of what's behind it. Yeah, I mean, um, so let's see. Um, I think that like the thing that started church kind of uh, comes before church, really, right? It's like the the business and the idea and where it came from. And it's, um, you know, it's it's like, uh, it really starts with when I met my wife. She, you know, she was my girlfriend, you know, of course, to start. And she started, uh, so a little before she even moved in with me, we, we actually met in New York. So I grew up in San Francisco, um, lived here until I was about like 27 or so, then moved to New York lived there for about seven, eight years and moved back. But while I was there, I met my wife, um, Beatrice. She's also the co-founder of the company and, um, you know, one of the, one of the core operators of the company. She's our formulator. She, you know, she does a lot. Um, And, um, but, but when we first met, you know, she was, she, uh, she comes from a totally different background than me. I mean, it's like, it's funny. It's like you date people in your life and like some of them are really similar to you. You know, some of them are very different. I mean, me and her are like, we are the most different people you, you'll ever meet. We're like, you know, completely different. I grew up in the city. I'm very much a city kid. Um, she, you know, she grew up uh, rural New Hampshire, um, just like, you know, knows how to do everything with her hands. She can literally blacksmith. She can do anything. It's crazy. Uh, we go camping. I had never been camping before I met her. <laughs> she's the one who knows how to put up the tent like it's it's crazy right That's awesome. but, but she's also uh she she also kind of grew up making her own products making her own toothpaste making her own soap her mom is a soap maker her parents are winemakers she knows how to make a lot of things yeah so, so it's it's not uncommon for her to not want to like buy something but instead make it yeah um, and that's that's like just very different from that was that's like you know growing up in a city, that's never something you would think of. Right. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, when we got to know each other, she would, she was kind of like going through my medicine cabinet and she's like, man, what is all this shit? Like this <laughs> stuff is crazy. You know, she's like, yeah. you put this on your face, you put this on your, on your hair. Like you're lucky you still have hair, you know, yeah. I would just use whatever they sold at the barbershop. Yeah. Um, you know, like most guys do. And, and then I, um, I remember she really kind of dissected the product and she's like telling me what's in it. And she's also, she really kind of knows, she knows her way around looking at an ingredient list. It's just something Mm -hmm. she's passionate about. So she kind of read through it and she was explaining, you know, this is a preservative. This will make it live on a shelf for 10 years. This is changing the color. These are like, basically, you know, these ingredients here are like sort of fake versions of, of what would otherwise be a plant ingredient. Yeah. Right. Um, and then these things here are for fragrance, which, um, you know, is, is just being used to make it smell. But it's also like a very cheap way to make a smell versus creating it with actual plant oils. Exactly. Right? And then I started to kind of put that together and realize that. And then I remember having this sort of moment where I was like, wow, you know, the products that I'm using are actually like they're they're like basically fake. Right. They're like they're almost like, you know, a knockoff of what would otherwise be a real in, real plant made product. 
Yeah. Um, and and then, but the one thing I questioned was whether or not the, you know you could actually make a product and make it work as well as those products because you know. And then um, anyway, she she was so sure of that fact that she proved it to me on multiple occasions. You know, with things like toothpaste, with things like soap, with things like you know, and then eventually proved it to me with things like a hair product. Yeah. And um, and that's when I sort of started to have this realization that like, wow, this is actually it's it's such uh, I think it's such important information to understand. And I didn't understand it. And it was something yeah. that I was taught and um, and being taught by her. And it was sort of like eye opening to me that like that's the way the world works. Right. Like the majority of products are actually just sort of like they're 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 actually a lot of them, I feel like, are even made in very similar very similar places. The product really like we kind of, you know, we use as our sort of starting date of the product because, you know, when two people develop a company and then develop a product, it's kind of hard to, it's not like you have like a founding date, right? Yeah. Like there was a, there was a, there, I guess there is a real sort of like legal date. And that was in 2016 when we created the company. Yeah. Um, but we had been making products and sort of thinking about this process, even back when we were living in New York, we, had our first daughter in 2014 and then we had her for a year in New York and then we made the decision to move back to San Francisco and when we did that we landed here and then um she was sort of like you know what do I do now like what what job am I going to do you know um and and I think part of the way that she is because her parents have always been you know winemakers independent people she's not really not not that she couldn't go get a job at some company but that's just really not her style so is that um, how she got a lot of her knowledge on things like preservatives and ingredients and formulation was from her parents winemaking because i would assume yeah i'm not a big wine guy but you know a lot of my friends are and yeah. you know between natural wines and you i mean you hear it's like any industry right there's always a bunch of adjunct bullshit yeah. and products you know so you know, and wine's one of those industries where I feel like it can be really refined and really natural, or it can be over the top, full of junk. And yeah. it almost kind of makes sense to me that she would have that background because of her parents making wine. It's totally. the refined process, right? It's yeah, yeah. Is that kind of where she started getting a lot of that information and kind of interest yeah. in it? I think that that where well, so definitely part of that, right? But I think that um, her parents are also the type of people that will make anything, right? Um, yeah. But they do make wine. And wine is a difficult thing to figure out. And there's lots of process behind it. Her dad oh. made beer, right? Um, I remember I was super into IPAs, started getting into double IPAs. And then I remember uh, he was over one time and I had a triple IPA and he was explaining, he's like, man, those things are just sugar bombs. All that is is just a, just a ton of sugar. That's how yeah. it becomes such a loaded high alcohol IPA or triple yeah. IPA. And so little things like that, like they just have the knowledge on all those things. And I yeah. think that that stuff bleeds into everything and that that's kind of how she is right where you know i constantly have lived my life in a way where like products and things just kind of come into your life and you don't yeah. really question how they're there or how they get there right um, i think she's the opposite right she's always like well but why is that that way right and uh, and that comes from her parents for sure she um so you know we we kind of came up with this concept but we knew that it would be impossible to like you can't just open up a store and start selling pomade, right? But um, and we only really had one product that we that we liked and or that we had made that we knew that that was sellable, and that's the volcanic clay. 
-hmm. So, so we've got that product. And then we, we came up with the idea of the barbershop for a couple of reasons. One, because it would give us a storefront mm -hmm. um, and a place where we could actually make money um, to, to sort of fund the product business. Right. Yeah. And then the other, I think more crucial was that we decided that if you're going to build a company, the best way to get feedback on products would be actually from barbers, from totally. people getting their haircut. And, um, and so we, uh, you know, we launched the, we came up with the concept and then we had to figure out what, you know, what are we going to call the business, all those sort of things. And that's where we went down this path and we, you know, we, um, we came up with, you know, hundreds of names. Um, and then I remember um, church was one of those names. It was in like the top 20 names that we were thinking of. And um, I, I was sort of like the, the one who was a little more hesitant on the name church. And it's funny because my, you know, my wife is actually, she's not, she's, not religious at all. I mean, she, she's actually probably more spiritual than me in a way she grew up in a, you know, her, both of her parents are Buddhist. She grew up, um, as a practicing Buddhist and, um, and, and me, I grew up in, you know, in the Catholic church, uh, St. Agnes in San Francisco. I, you know, was like, you know, my mom's a Catholic school teacher, um, very much like that was a part of my life growing up. Yeah. The, and so the, the irony with the name church is that she thought of the name church and she was like really into it even though she's never been to church. Right. Yeah. And, and me, because I grew up going to church, I kind of was like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that's like, I don't want to like use that name because it's such a big name. Yeah. And, and then we really started to talk about what it means. Right. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is like, for me, I'm, you know, I'm not, I actually don't really go to church anymore. You know, it's not, not a part of my life. Um, mm -hmm. For many, for many reasons, not, not no real bad reasons or anything like that. Just not something I, that I really do anymore. Yeah. But um. But I, growing up in the church, I learned a lot of like sort of core beliefs, right? Like, um, community is like a big part of my life. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I really believe in community, and I think that that comes from there. I think the biggest one is like the um the idea that that there are things bigger than yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, like that's just a kind of core belief that I have. And and I think that's really important and grounding. Mm -hmm. I think even kind of one of the reasons why church is created, right, is around community, yeah. is around putting something above you, you know, to to kind of like give you a guiding force. So I, I think those things. And then the other one that's sort of like it's taken me a while to come to, but it's really like design. For me, design is by far like the most important thing that I think about in my day to day life. Like I'm obsessed with architecture. I'm obsessed with design. I I literally like I, I go on runs. I run like five times a week and my runs are based around what I want to look at that day. Right? Yeah. You know, I have all these routes through San Francisco. When I go visit other cities, my favorite thing to do is go on a run. And I think about like, what are all the spots I want to hit and see along the way? And then. I'll just go. I mean, it's like here I run five miles in a day. If I go to like New York or something like that, I'll, I might run 10 miles because I'm just like my my mouth's on the floor. I'm just like running and just like. Yeah, you're staring. like a husky. You're just like endlessly running and forgetting like, oh, shit, where did I just come from? I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that that um, those are the things about church, right? Like I grew up in church just kind of staring at the ceiling, yeah. just blown away. Right. The church I went to was really beautiful. And, you know, and and I just. Those are the things that kind of, but, but the thing with church, and I think where my wife was coming from with it, which is where I finally came around to it, is that church also represents this other thing, right? Just because, um, you know, the, there's the Catholic church or whatever, the, um, there's also this other thing that church represents. And it's like, 
to us, what it is, is it, it's that feeling when everything is clicking or like, you know, some people call it the flow state, right? Like mm -hmm. when you're, when you're kind of in lockstep with the universe or even in lockstep with a group of people, right? There's like, or, you know, there's like, a, some people call it like if the musician is in the pocket or, you know, if like you're Michael Jordan and you get into the zone, right? Like that's, yep. that's kind of what represents church. And then I think the other thing is that we think about spaces that are, um, that, that become a church. And so, um, you know, for us, like Cal that's where we came up with the name Church California. You said the volcanic clay was the first um, yeah. product that you guys seem to get stable and were happy with. How did the cream come along? How did the pomade come along? What was formulating it like? Did you guys use a lab or did you guys just do it in house? Did like how did that all come about? Yeah, so everything we do, we do in house. Um, she develops everything, and um, uh, the um, how did it come about? So we, um, you know, we had we had we had made a lot of products before that point, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, with the barbershop, the idea was let's open a barbershop, let's create a space, and um, and for me that was really exciting, right? Like. I love the idea of creating a product company. We could have taken it in many directions. I remember when we when we thought about it, I we were thinking of everything from let's make a full-blown company that sells every product in the world, just natural products, right? Um and her thing was, you know, women's is is oversaturated. There's too much, you know. Yeah. And um and then uh so that was like one early learning. And then but she said, you know, it's really like men is sort of an untapped market when it comes to that. And, and it's mostly because she was like, and then the other thing about men that, that is that men are curious and they, when you find something out and when you kind of make a decision on a product, it's hard, you know, you, you, um, you, once you go along this sort of course to figure something out, then you're, you know, you, you can stick with it. And so I think that there's also, I feel like this education process that's happening to all of us mm -hmm. and to everyone around the world right now where people are starting to kind of understand things a little bit better. Um, and I think when you, for me, it was like understanding a few fundamental points, like, you know, the majority of the ingredients that you can't spell or understand or have numbers attached to them, the majority of them are just cheap versions of what, of what would otherwise be an expensive plant-made ingredient, like a real earthly ingredient. You know, um, the majority of those do have a plant counterpart, right? Like a real thing. Yeah. Um, and and it's, uh, you know, I remember like I went with a friend to uh, a place that makes candles in L.A. a while back. And we, you know, I got to go into the factory and see everything happening. And they were talking about making fragrances. And I was like just stunned at what they were talking about because none of the fragrances that they were considering or talking about none of the things they were talking about were actual like real plants or anything. Yeah. You know, were plant oils or anything like that. It was like a jelly belly factory, right? It's like, yeah, we can make it taste like popcorn just by adding in that number, this number and hitting enter. And it's like, yeah. it's like, how is that? That's, that's a thing, but that's what all that shit is in the product. And then totally. when you start to think about like the impact on your, on your nervous system and on, on your, you as a person, I mean, you are a, you know, I, I, it's like, you are not a robot, right? You are a person. You are like, you have the same things in your, in your body that, you know, are in the plants and in the earth around you, right? Yeah. It's very get detached and forget that when we watch, you know, we're like watching Netflix one moment and then like 
popping open a cereal bag like the next moment like no one like really stops to think but you are literally a mammal you know you yeah. are you're you know a, you are a person of earth and um and these ingredients that you use when they are not like that they are they are the alien thing right and yes. so i think that's like the thing that that's the thing that sort of like the company is about right it's about like uh education on like getting back to making things with with real earthly ingredients and so so that with that in mind we 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 decided to launch church barber and that was exciting for a lot of reasons for me it was exciting because i've always loved barbershops i you know grew up in the city going to barbers um you know i've i went to one barbershop called rick's barbershop um starting out early like very young got my first fade you know, in like fifth grade or something like that. And then eventually I graduated to, uh, I say graduated, but I started going to like a better barber, someone who really like, knew how to fade. It was this guy named Anton. I'm still friends with him today. He owns a barbershop in the city called ATD. But, um, you know, so, and then I moved to New York, went through the whole process of finding a barber, you know, crazy experience, um, ended up finding one and, 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 and actually ended up finding that barbershop through a friend of mine who worked at the barbershop, who now is our manager at Church Barber, um, my one of my best friends, uh, Joaquin, who managed a barbershop in New York um, called Neighborhood Cut and Shave, and then uh, eventually um, made it made the move to California to help us run Church. Nice. Um, but anyway, he um, that so I've I've always been super into barbershops, right? Um, I at one point in my life like considered being a barber. I think yeah. I, I would have been a like a very rewarding career for me um but things just led me in different directions but i think um so when we got the when the concept the idea came up of building a barbershop i was like 100 percent in you know yeah. I, I was just like wow i can't believe my wife is gonna like let me build the barbershop like this is amazing you know and then um and then when we came up with the concept of church um all these things started coming around and i had all these ideas um there was this church that i went to in montreal that had like it's like the most beautiful church in Montreal. The name's escaping. It's like the main one kind of Basilica of Montreal. Um, so I was there. I went there for a bachelor party. One of my best friends was getting married and wanted to go to Montreal. I was like, wow, what a, you know, what a crazy idea. But we all went, I mean, we all went from California to there. And, um, or actually, I think I was living in New York at the time. Or no, no, I was back here because we were thinking about church, the name already. So yeah, that was from California to to there. But anyway, when I was there, I remember like the church there is so crazy looking. If you look at a picture of it online really quick, um, just look up Notre Dame Basilica of Montreal. You'll see that on the floor, the floor is just so oddly like at odds with the church. It has like these crosses on the floor. And I was just like, wow, that's so trippy. Like this church looks like it's like you can tell the rest of it was built in like the 1500s. It's this gorgeous place. Every detail is considered. It's like crazy and then the floor is just like all blue with these like it almost looked like it was like a graphic design that had been done it, yeah, it's really i've like pulled up yeah it's cool yeah so when i saw that floor i was like we were already thinking of the name church and then i was like okay yeah but i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do a floor like that and mm -hmm. that's gonna be, like that's gonna be the the concept is like that that's you know that sort of just juxtaposition and that's how it ties back to a barbershop black and white floor so then I started to get excited about the name church. And then um, we, you know, we, we were, so then we went church, California, and then we opened uh, church barber. Right. Um, and so, so um, with, uh, with church barber, 
as we started to go through the design process, I realized that, you know, I had the floor idea, I had some other ideas, but I was kind of in over my head to design something like that big. And so I started reaching out to friends. Um, and, you know, one, one thing that kind of ties us all together too, is like, when I remember when I was in New York, my friend Joaquin was one of the few people that I had ever met there who was from New York, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody I met in New York, like, I, I mean, I worked in an office with, you know, I worked in a company with 300 people. There was one person named, named Pam who was, who was from New York. Yeah. Every other person, not from New York, right? Like it's very rare that you meet someone from New York City when you're yeah. in New York. You're with 8 million people and there's very few that you meet that are actually from there. San Francisco is the exact same thing. Like yeah. I'm rarely do I ever meet anybody who's like me who was born and raised in San Francisco. And so I remember when I sort of became aware of that fact, I I um I was talking to a friend of mine when I just moved back to San Francisco and I was like, you know, anything that's rare has value, right? So how do you bottle that up and sell it? What is that thing? How do you how do you, you know, how do you get how do you get value out of the rareness? And then what I realized was, what would I have not done in New York, right? When you're a transient person coming to a city, you, you're scared to put down roots. That's one thing, right? Like, it's hard for you to put down roots. I wonder if you experienced this when you, because you opened a barbershop in Denver. But I know for me, it was like, in San Francisco, I could easily do that. Because one, I know I'm not going anywhere anymore. When we moved back, I was like, I'm here for good. Yeah. My parents still live in the city. And then also, like, I have uncles who are in all the trades, you know, I've got an uncle who's a painter, I've got an uncle who's a roofer, you know, yeah. I've got friends who are electricians. So it's like, you know, I know people who can get permits and things like that. So I was like, in San Francisco, I can move, I can like get stuff done. And so yeah. I really wasn't worried about doing it. In New York, I can't imagine how I would have tried to pull off opening a barbershop. And I think that was like the sort of realization I had where I was like, in San Francisco, I don't feel like I would have any fear about like doing something like that. And that's when I decided. Why do you say that? Because I think when I first moved to Denver, I knew it wasn't even on my radar to open something, especially right away. Yeah, I think I had always had in my head, I don't know anybody here. And even in Chicago, I didn't want to do it there for a few reasons. But one of the many reasons was even though I was kind of like from there, I had just moved back from Michigan and I was there for a few years. But I didn't have that kind of connection that you were saying, like you have family that are in the trades and stuff. And I didn't and I didn't have any clients that were in commercial real estate or developers or contractors or worked in the city that helped me with permitting. I mean, it was I I was so overwhelmed with how the hell am I going to do this here, even though I feel like I'm from here. I grew up in the suburbs when I was a little kid and then suburban Detroit and then moved back to the city of Chicago. I didn't really have that. And then when I moved to Denver, over the course of a few years, I met the right people cutting hair. And that's when I started to have confidence, like, oh, I can do this. Because you don't know what you don't know. And how am I supposed to just know all these other trades and industries? I know what I know. That's yeah. already quite a lot. But it's not, you know, then I started talking to developer friends and clients like, hey, man, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then you talk to these other people that know certain neighborhoods well, and, you know, they give you demographics on, you know, the clientele there and blah, blah, blah. And you just start to kind of like feel out the city, you go hang out, you get to know it better. And then I finally felt ready to like, okay, I have the support. I'm gonna start hitting up these people. And then it came together. So it's really funny you say that because I felt like it was the exact same for me. It was once I kind of felt rooted and I did have a little bit of a community of people that I could rely on to give me 
that boost and that help and fill in the gaps of what I didn't know, then yeah. I felt the confidence to finally, you know, go ahead and yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you kind of need, no, no one, it's very difficult to do things, you know, on your own. And and um, luckily, it sounds like you and, and also I did, did not have to do that completely on, on my own. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think with, uh, so with church, when, you know, it was sort of like the the two, I don't know that the two, neither would have happened on their own, right? Like, yeah. I've not had the idea for the product. I don't think the barbershop happens, um, even though, like, it would have been a dream of mine to build a barbershop. Um, and without the barbershop, I don't think the product is a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing that is also, I think, unique about church is, like, you know, anybody can start a pomade company and sell pomade online and just, you know, D to C is like the most popular thing in the world yeah. now. Right? You can just spin up a Shopify store and start selling. But for us, that would be very like against our sort of like some of our core beliefs, which are, you know, like we're very big fans of the physical world, right? Yeah. You know, you'll never see us uh, on Meta, right? We are, we're not even, we don't even sell on Amazon. You know, yeah. we want to be like, really our goal is like, you know, we, we want people to experience things in real life. That's why for us, are it's very natural for us to try to go into wholesale right and have like we want to be in every barbershop every good barbershop every barbershop that's aligned with our sort of way of thinking that you know plant products work and that um they can outperform their sort of like cheap counterparts um that are made in a lab and i think if you believe that then um you know we could be a good fit for a shop and that and that's i think the other thing when we I think when we thought about building the barbershop and I say like with all this excitement I had that I get to build a barbershop, right. It was like, I really wanted to do it like right and do it with all the things in mind that I felt like were missing in some barbershops or maybe not missing in some bar. Every barbershop is great in their own way. Yeah. I wanted to kind of build it around the things that I saw, like the things that I felt were, could be really great. Right. And so that's why like at church, there's no TVs, right? Like it's very easy to put a TV in the corner. Um, and I, and I think I do, I did, I, there's definitely times when I enjoy having a TV in a barbershop. Like if yeah. you go in and there's a, you know, there's a game on and everybody's really into it. That's awesome. Right. There's those experiences can be really fun, but I've also been in a barbershop where, you know, the TV's just on all day. Right. And like, you know, the, um, the ESPN button is like burned into the side of the TV, you know? Yeah. And then, and then in those instances, you're like, man, we could be sitting around having a conversation, but no one's yeah. talking. We're all just listening to Stephen A. Right. And it's like, what's the, like that, that to me sort of misses the point where where's the, the community in that, you know? Yeah. There's no community in that. And so I think that there's, um, I do, I do think there's a place for a TV in a barbershop. Um, but we made a conscious decision to, 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 to remove it, you know, to have no TVs. Yeah. Um, and then we made a big decision to kind of go in on music, right? Music for us as a uniter, it's a, it's something that doesn't drown out a conversation. It's something that can inspire a conversation. It's something, you know, there's, there's what's not to love about music, right? So based with that sort of a, that's like, just like one example, there's a million decisions you make, right? And oh, of course. You're building a place, but that's one. Um, and then little things like, it also gave us the, the ability to try to create, you know, a botanical barbershop, which is like one of our things, right? That's like a core part of, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you um, look at every single thing that's used in a barbershop, but look at it through a new lens, which is like, why do we use that? Can we use something different? Can we make something different? Right. Yeah. And that's been uh, really valuable. Right. So like 
you know, currently online, we sell three products. We sell, besides merch, right? We sell three pomades, right? We sell the volcanic clay, the coastal cream, and the sun wax pomades. Um, in the barbershop, we don't sell any other products currently, but we we use a ton of products. So we have a shave gel that we've worked on for years, been using in the shop for years. That's really great. We're, we're eventually going to launch that, but we don't want to like, we don't, what we like to do is like launch things slowly once we've finalized and perfected it. And also like the shave gel, I don't want to just have it sit out there by itself, right? Like it's, you know, it's a great product, but like it kind of needs a full face line. And there's other things we're working on, like, you know, a face oil, um, we make things like we make the things we need. So we make pre-shave oils. We make, um, you know, you, you know, we try to make it so that a barber can perform their full, their, you know, their full service with yeah. using just all plant ingredients. Um, we, we make a botanical dusting powder, um, that's made with, uh, kaolin clay, um, arrowroot powder. And then we take dried flowers and we crush them up in a, using a, um, a an actual just coffee grinder. And then you mix those together. And then that works as like a great, you know, towel dusting. Um, like talc-free powder, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. And it smells super good. It's like got rose and all these like natural, like literally crushed up flowers in it. So little things like that, that was also really exciting, right? Like being able to kind of create um, our own version of a barbershop. And then there was the design side where we get to like go in and build, you know, church barber. And like the first thing everybody says is like, oh, sick, you you can use like pews for seats and you can use and it's like, you know, you and you're you kind of have to go through like the temptation of like, you know, like, no, but that's like that's not what we want to do. Right. Like yeah. it, you want to make it a church in every other way. You know, yeah. so the only thing that's even sort of remotely religious looking at church is the cross on the floor. And that's a uh, that's also like uh, kind of part of um you know, our design process, right? Like one of our, one of our sort of logo types is a cross, but it's, uh, when you really look at it, it's more of a, it's like the square cross, which is also something that you'll see when you go to like a pharmacy in, in Europe or something, right? You see that big green cross. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like a, it's, it's like our own version, our own take on that. Um, but when we got, when we reached that point where I realized like, there's a lot of design work that needs to be done here. And I'm not an accomplished enough designer. Like, I think I have, what I have, I think, that is valuable is I think I have a good eye and I, and I know what I like. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we needed a designer. So I started to ask around, started to ask a bunch of friends. And, um, again, that's where I think it's valuable to have that network. And, um, totally. and I got introduced to a guy named Daniel Castro. Um, he came in and helped us. Like he loved the shop, loved the look. I mean, loved the idea, loved the location and was just like, I'm down. Right. And, he is like extremely accomplished. So for us to be able to work with him was like a huge, you know, he's um, he's the director of design for this company called Ken Folk, which is like a, a really um, great design company here in San Francisco. Um, they literally do like they, you know, they did Pharrell's Hotel in Miami. They did Sedell's ba Bagels. They, you know, he he's designed logo marks for some really big companies. So when he was like down, I was like, whoa, this is real. This is this is a good opportunity. We need to yeah. take it. And then so we start rolling on design and then he got so into it and we actually struck up a great friendship. Like he had a, he had a young daughter. He now has two daughters. We both have two daughters. Right. Um, so we, we, um, you know, we just, we had more and more in common. And then I was like, man, I don't want this to end when, when the church barber thing ends. So he came in and became a partner. So we brought him yes. in as a, as a partner on church, California. 
and um, he does all of our designs. So when you say you like the design of the packages, that's a shout to Daniel. The other thing with Daniel too is that like um, I we couldn't have worked with just anybody, just any designer. Yeah, he's like literally like a um, he's like a kindred spirit. Like you know we go camping together now. We um, I mean we're just we just vibe really really well. Like we're we he totally gets it, and um, and that was like very clear from the start. Like you know um, so that that was uh, I think it's been like for the three of us, me, B, and Daniel, it's been like literally like a huge uh, source of enjoyment, like working on the business, which is yeah. like, whenever that's happening, like the good things are going to get created. You know yeah. what I mean? So then, and then the barbershop just became this, like this amazing way to get feedback on products, right? It's like literally, you know, you have the volcanic clay and then people are like, it's got almost too much hold or, you know, I wish it was just more moisturous or mm -hmm. you, know, you really start to kind of listen and think and hear. And then you're like, okay. And then actually, you know, the clay I created for, you know, I was like, it was, it was, it was a replacement for products that I was using. Um, and I really like a matte finish. I like things that look natural. Um, and then the cream is sort of like an even more natural version of the clay, right? It's like, it's got um it's super good for your hair it's you know it's got lots of ingredients that the coastal cream the coastal cream yeah love it yeah i've been using that a lot um i've been using it as a pre-styler a lot i've been using it in curly hair longer stuff it's yeah. all the products are great but i've i think i just like lighter creams these days you know right. what i mean like everyone's wearing it looser and just kind of softer looking and yeah it's phenomenal supernatural product yeah so that that one um, was the second product. And then the third one is like a totally different use case. It's like people that are like, no, like this, this, this clay doesn't work for me. Right. And then you start to figure out why you're like, why doesn't it work? Right. Because the thing that's so crazy is like, we'll get we'll get a review sometimes. If we ever get negative reviews. It's always due to like hold. It's like this doesn't have any hold. I can't believe people buy this product. It's got no hold. And it's like and that's talking about the clay. And the thing is, is is for the person who's leaving the review, that person is telling the truth. It has no hold for their hair. But the reality is hair is very, very different. You know, my hair is uh, is very fine. Like the, the, the strands are very fine. For me, if you put clay in my hair, it's going to hold like really, really well. Um, you know, it almost too much. Like the, the clay, I don't really use unless I want a locked in look. Well, it's funny the, you say that. Sorry to cut you off, but like, so Matt, who works with us, has super soft, fine hair. And he used the clay and was like, dude, all day, I got lift, I got hold. This is awesome. And I was like, yeah, I'm really liking it. And then Zach, who used it, who is like kind of salt and peppery, very thick hair. It's very, he has that, you know, the gray in there. It's a little coarse. Yeah. Um, he's like, I really like it, but it kind of deflated over the course of the day. And so he experienced not the same type of hold. And I think that's why... I mean, as barbers, it's our profession. Like it's, it's, it's our duty to recommend the correct product for people's hair types and hair texture. Yep. And there's so much lack of product knowledge out there on our end as barbers. There's so much misinformation. There's like all of these things that people get recommended the wrong things all the time. And then they just don't like the product when really it probably just wasn't the right product for them. Yeah, if it's so a high performing product yep. and someone doesn't like it, chances are it's the wrong product in that range and it's not that the brand isn't good right or the ingredients aren't great because when you have a premium product like you guys have kind of what you just said it's like if you have a negative review chances are they're just using out of the three so far 
they're using the wrong of the three. And okay, let's try this one. I think this will work a little bit better with your texture because the pomade I've loved um, as far as use cases, I've used it in like really thick coarse hair and it is awesome. Which it's one is great separation kind of, I don't want to say deflates the hair, but it, it, make, it, it gives the separation and the look and the texture without overwhelming and puffing it up like a clay or something with a matte finish kind of wood. Um, you mean the, are you talking about the sun wax? Yes. Sorry. The sun wax. Yeah. Yeah. So the sun wax was developed for people with coarse hair who want to, yeah. who want whole, right. Or for people that want a sort of like, what, like I would say like a, um, a style that is not natural pre-styling, right? So if you want something that's like really locked in and kind of like you're moving your hair over here and making it do something that it wouldn't otherwise do, then you need a wax or something with, with a lot of hold. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you have a good haircut and you just want something that gives your hair more volume, right? Um, but you still want it to look super natural. If it's windy, you want it to move, right? Then that you're probably good with the cream. If yeah. you, um, you know, and, and actually the cream works really well for people with thick, coarse hair too, but yeah. only if they want a really natural look. Totally. Um, if you have, otherwise though, if you want hold, like a clay is just not the right move for people with thick hair. Um, and uh, though, you know, there are some people, it also comes down to emulsifying it. Like if you have really dark, thick hair and you put, and you just put a cream or a clay straight onto your hair, you're going to see residue. Totally. But what you need to do is really emulsify it to where you can barely even see it on your hands and then put it in. And actually you'll have a different, you'll have a different experience. But if you really want hold and you have thick hair, you have to be using a wax. A clay is not, it just doesn't have enough hold power. So that's why we created the sun wax. The sun wax is, um, that product took us two plus years, minimum two years to build. Um, it's an extremely difficult product to make. Um, my wife literally hand pours that at our house still right now, each day, nice. constantly pouring wax. That product is, the reason it's so hard to make is because it's a water emulsion, um, which you have to be like a great natural formulator to understand how to even do a water emulsion without using um, a, 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 like an, a very unnatural preservative. Um, and, and she's able to do that by using real plant preservatives um, to keep it from molding. So that was like the hardest part is how do you create, how do you use it? How do you make a water-based wax without mold, without using preservatives? And so, yeah. you know, there was a, there was a period there for months where she would make it and then um, it would eventually mold. Right. And it's like, how do you, so it was just working and working and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until she got it to where it wouldn't mold. And then it's like, okay, well, now we've got that dialed in. How can we get it to where it just works exactly how we want it? And she just, oh. you know, that's what, there's so many ingredients in each of our products. People often ask like, you know, why that is. Um, most natural products actually don't have a lot of ingredients. They're usually like almost like a homemade brew, maybe yeah. like four or five. We use a ton because there's a lot of them are there for, as a preservative, a lot of them are there, um, for the things that they do for your hair. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in there that are just really, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, ingredients that are just really good for hair and scalp. Um, right. and, um, and so those are all things that she thinks through when creating something, but the, the sun wax is like, I would say like one of the prouder things that one of the things that she's most proud of, because that was such a difficult product. And yeah. And, um, and we would have never been able to make that product without the barbershop because I'm actually not a user of that product. Um, yeah. So it's hard for me to kind of weigh in and give feedback. So we got year, you know, a year plus of feedback once it was being made. 
directly from customers. Um, you know, we're the cool thing is if you're a customer at church, like, you know, we might, you might leave with free products all the time because we're like, Hey, try this or, yeah. you know, hey, your hair looks right for this. We want to get your feedback. We've got like a bald pomade we're working on. If you come in and get a buzz cut every couple of weeks, we might give you a bald pomade to take home. The bald pomade is just something that's really moisturizing for your scalp, um, you know, um, and then also uh, has zinc for um, sun protection, right? So like that's a, there's where we have a few products, hair products in the formulation process, and we're always kind of, um, you know, working on them, but getting feedback from people is like, I mean, it's priceless, you know? Yeah. You mentioned kind of the, the shave gel earlier. Are you guys planning on doing like a full skin line? Are you planning on doing more hair products? Are you doing like planning on all of it? You don't have to yeah, say so, it's top so, secret information, but. No, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I'll tell you, like our goal is really, really simple. Um, we want to make uh, all products, but also like we are very, like we're not in this for like a quick win. Totally. Or a quick win. Like we we are super comfortable going at the speed we're going. Mm -hmm. Like our sales are increasing a lot. We actually sell a lot online now, mm -hmm. but we, um, but they're not growing beyond our capabilities, right? Beyond our ability to fulfill. They're not oh. growing to the point where like it's making our family like go through, you know, it's it's not turning our lives upside down. Yeah. And and that that would be where we don't want it to be, right? Um and so uh so it's it's um and it's you know it's reached some of those points. Like honestly, it reached the point where we can't bottle all the pomade. Like it's just it's too time consuming. So yeah. We, we, you know, we put out a, we have this great community where our kids go to school. It's called, this school is called uh, New Village in Sausalito. It's this amazing place. And lots of the people that go to the school, lots of the parents are makers. They're, you know, the other day I needed a metal worker for something we're working on at the barbershop. And I put out an email and like five people got back to me. And we're like, either I'm a metal worker or I know a metal worker. And um, same thing when we, we were like, Hey, we've, we've run out of hands. We need help bottling pomade. Is there anybody who's interested in making some money on the side? And our daughter's second grade teacher was like, I'm down. Like, you know, and so she's bottling pomade now. And, nice. you know, so, so that's a, you know, talk about like a natural product. It's literally being bottled by a, a second grade, uh, basically Waldorf teacher, you know, so awesome. pretty cool. So well, it brings um, it back to the community thing too. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Not outsourcing it to, you know, some, it's, you know these people you know and you you reached out to the community which yeah. one of like it sounds like the pillars and the, the whole kind of idea behind church yeah. and here you are do, using the community and that's super cool that you're able to just like send out an email and yeah. people that are just involved with the school and the community just were like yeah i'll do it i'll help out or yeah, hey i know yeah. this person that's cool i know it's great so that really has helped us to scale and to sort of um and to build in scale like you know, like you worry sometimes we, we might bring on a barbershop who might buy, you know, more pomade than we can, you know, that we can fulfill that that won't happen now. Right. Because we're now we're building in the more scale. So that's that's those are the things that have kind of happened over time. And and I think when you're growing slowly, when you're growing um, at the pace we are, it enables you to be able to um, to not bite off more than you can chew. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's really important. And then, um, you know, we don't have any investors. We don't like, we're not, you know, we're not, um, we're not like out there raising funds. We're, we're like a bootstrap normal company. It's just growing the way that it should. Yep. And I think that's the way we want to continue things for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And I think, um, so to answer your question on products, like 
we're making more hair products. Um, the thing that's most imminent, the thing that we're launching next is a shampoo and conditioner. And nice. that product, another thing we've worked on for two plus years. We originally made a liquid, um, a liquid. Uh, you know, they were originally liquid products. Um, we were using them in the barbershop forever. Um, and then we were thinking about how to bottle them um, and sell to the public. But the problem was, was we really don't like using plastic. We feel like it's pretty off brand for us. Yeah. Um, we also just, I mean, realistically, we've, I mean, we've been talking about this for years, me and my wife, but like the blue bin for recycling is like bullshit. Like no one, that's not actually going to be recycled. Like, and that's now been, that's like now pretty much proven fact, like that nothing gets recycled. So, you know, I mean, there's certain things that do, but the things that do, those are taken out of your bin. Like if you live in San Francisco where we live, the stuff that's recyclable is out of the bin by the time the recycling guys come because someone comes at night you know, a guy looking to make money and goes through and picks out all the shit that's actually worth recycling because he brings it himself to make money. And that just proves to you that like the other stuff in the bin is literally not going to get recycled because yeah. the stuff that will be recycled can, can be sold to the recycling place, right? Things like glass, things like, um, you know, things like uh, aluminum, right? Those things can actually be recycled. The recycling system has been alive for so many years, right? They've been peddling that that whole thing with all the numbers on the back, the four, the three, all that yeah. stuff. It's all it's all bullshit. Like that was all a lie. And so I think that um, with that knowledge, it's very difficult to to create a product that's going to add more plastic to the world. Totally. And so what we did was we created uh, we we used glass just like we use glass for our you know our jars. Um, and uh, you know, but the problem with all this stuff, right, is like there's still going to be some plastic. If you're using a glass um, jar, there's a plastic straw that goes in it to suck the product out. You're not going to put a glass straw in there, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people say, oh, we'll use an aluminum bottle. The problem with aluminum is still the same, right? You still have plastic all over it. Um, and then also your um, so 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 we went through that process. We loved our shampoo and conditioner. We put it into a glass bottle. We would use it at home and we would break it all the time. And when you're when you're like naked in the shower, in the shower, yeah, glass, it's not fun. Yeah. So we, um, so we sort of were like, we could just imagine too many returns, too many emails. And we were just like, this is going to be a disaster, right? Yeah. Selling a glass product. So anyway, then we took the hard decision, which is to step off of a product that you've already built that's ready to run. And uh, we decided to make a shampoo and conditioner bar. Um, so we literally went out and tried every single one. Um, and then we um, we thought about like, how do we formulate this into the product that we want it to be? How do, how do we make it work as well as the liquid one that we had worked so hard to create? And that took a really long time and we finally got it. Um, and now we're just working on, we, we actually also now just designed the mold. Um, and then the next step is, um, is, uh, is getting the mold finished and then just you know, making them. So we're, we're hoping to get that product out by, um, by the, in the first quarter of next year, but that's a product we're super excited about. Um, um, we, when we launched the barbershop, actually, we launched with a full facial line. We had a cream, we had a, um, a cream cleanser. It was unreal. It was amazing. Um, we had, we had a, uh, it was an oil-based clay cleanser, um, and, um, still a really good product. And then we had, um, a, a toner and, um, and a facial oil. Um, the problem was they were really expensive, super expensive. Um, and we were working with the woman, um, to help us with them. 
and the cost was just not sustainable. Um, yeah. so we were we were selling a three piece uh, cleanser toner oil, and it was like roughly a hundred. It was uh, it was like maybe I think God what, it was like one twenty five or something for the three of them. Yeah. And guys were just like, I'm not I'm not paying one hundred twenty five dollars to clean my face, which. I would actually argue it was actually well worth that money. Yeah. Um, the cool thing was was we eventually pulled it from selling it, and then we just use it in the shop. So we we own now we 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 just use it for a service we call the Sunday service. But we're actually reformulating that product now. I want to re-release it in a way that is more um, cost effective. Like we what we realized is we really that was a product where we were working with someone else to make it, and we need to we need to do everything ourselves in order to have um, effective margins where we yeah. can offer products because we want to be able to sell them to barbershops too. Like everything we do, we want to be able to put into other barbershops. Um, and then, uh, so that's kind of the facial line. So we're, I think that um, in this year, in the calendar year 2023, I would love to finish um, a new cleanser that we're working on. We'll, we'll use it in the barbershop for the first few months. Um, we're really familiar with cleansers, so that's not going to take us as long as the hair products to develop. Yeah. Um, and then we'll use it in the shop, get a ton of feedback. We'll send it to other barbershops, get a lot of feedback from them. And then we'll try to work on a price point, make it a make it a product that's more sellable to men. Um, but I think a cleanser is super important. If you're not cleansing your skin every day with like a good cleanser that's not stripping oils out of your face, you should yeah. be really, really. It's a really, really useful product. And then we also really believe in water integration. So we use a lot of rose water at the shop. Um, it's just pure natural rose water. It's like a rose hydrosol. Um, you just spray it on your face. And then when you put an oil on over um, over the water, it actually uh, integrates the water into your face. So yeah. it locks the water in. And then the other thing that an oil does, an oil on your face, what it does is it really, it protects your face. It almost acts as like a layer um, between your face and the sun, right? Mm -hmm. The sun is actually can be very damaging to your face, especially, you know, over a long period of time. If you look at, you know, when people age, one of the main thing, one of the main things that are aging them is what, you know, are called radicals. Right. So like yeah. things that are, that are coming, um, coming at you. And if you can just put a layer between the radical and yourself, you're going to protect your skin um, and protect the health of your skin. So. So I think those are kind of the things that we're working on um, and that we, you know, those are the things that we use today. Like, I mean, I use an oil every day that my wife makes, right? Um, <laughs> I use, I use a rose water or some, some neroli spray that we've made. Um, and we use those things in the barbershop too. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's funny because I had this almost exact same conversation or kind of what you just explained to me. I was explaining to a client yesterday because um, uh, he was asking about face serums and oils and this and that. We were just having a good chat about skincare and it's you know for men you mentioned earlier like the women's space is so flooded and the yep. men's space is starting to kind of get there too because i think people were like oh here's a market that's untapped and yep. it's a lot of there's a lot of ignorance behind it there's a lot of men that just have no clue but yep. want to invest in something for themselves but don't really know where to start and then you know if you're savvy with marketing you can make them want it even though the product is shit right so yeah. it's it's funny because i've had you know we've kind of struggled to sell skincare in the shop but it's something yeah. that um i deeply believe in as well and yeah. we haven't it's been one of our like lower categories when i was like there's no barber shops that i know of selling good skincare it's always they sell lay right and swap Cito and like some of the products in brands we mentioned before but they're not there's no focus on good skincare. So it's like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it. Yeah. And it's struggled. And I've always said this 
is like if this if Rosemont were in Chicago, New York, or San Francisco or LA, we would be crushing our retail skincare. Yeah. But in Denver, which is ironic because it's so dry out here and the sun is so damaging or so close to it, you would think men care about it more. Yeah. But for some reason, the education isn't quite there. And I had, a, ironically, I had a client. She's like, oh, that's that costs nothing. My my brother spends like $120 on a moisturizer every like month and blah, 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 blah. Gets facials, all this stuff. It, it just it, it got me frustrated that Denver doesn't really have that yet. It's coming. The education's getting better. Truthfully, we struggled with that too. Like, yeah. We were selling, you know, a full skincare line in our shop and no one was buying it. Um, I think that it would be different now. That was five years ago. Yeah. Now our customers, like the first few customers that sort of came to church, like people were like, oh, they make a pomade line. That's cool. And they probably just thought it was like something like white labeled. And they're just like, yeah, I've seen that at other barber shops where they have their own. And then once they try it, and I think once our barbers like were really like, because our barbers like love our products, right? And once they're when they're like really pushing them, I mean, all of our customers now like use our products. Totally. Um, sometimes our sometimes we'll have a barber leave to a new shop, and the customer will still always come back for the product at least, if not also for haircuts. But they they might stay with that barber, but we always see them come back, and they're like they either we either see them buying online or they will come by and stop by in person, right? Totally. Um, to pick it up. So I think the um, the product is really sort of it's in a different place than it was five years ago. And I think, I mean, it's still the same product really, but it's just, it's in a different place of recognition now. Totally. And um, and I think that if we were to launch a face line now and start selling it, people would maybe buy it. Right? How do you, and this question is shot through my head. How are you going to, if like, let's say there's a wholesaler in a shop that carries the product line. And they have shampoo bowls. How are you going to make it back bar friendly for them? Are you going to keep it in a liquid for that like specific reason? Or have you thought about that? Um, That's a good question. So there would be two ways to do that. One, we could always sell. So we, so first of all, you bring me to a one point, which is that, um, so we're working on a botanical barbershop line as well, right? So we know that like that dusting powder is super cool. We've sent it to a few barbershops and they've really liked it. And they're yeah. like, when they order, sometimes they're like, yo, can you throw some of that dusting powder in? And we're like, yeah. So we just, we literally, we make it at the barbershop. So we just whip it up, throw it in a jar and send it along, right? So, yeah. so I think like making that product that is actually something that a barbershop can buy is I think a really cool idea. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, that's one thing we want to do. Um, same with the shave gel, the shave gel just works really well in a barbershop for two reasons. One, because, um, it's, it's goes on clear. So when you are doing like a neck lineup or, you know, or a razor lineup or something, you can see, which is great. Um, and then also, uh, you can mix it with water and use it in a, um, in a, uh, got a blanket on the name on the, um, hot, uh, lather machine. So you just, oh, no shit. Nice. you just squirt it. You do like six to 10 squirts, add the water, stir it up real well, and then start the lather machine. And then it'll, it'll actually lather. So that's a, huh. and, and that's a 100% botanical lather. Um, it smells great, works great. It's an awesome product. Yeah. And then I think the other thing where we want to work on is like, um, we use like rose water for most things, for most needs. If you, you know, do a shave and you want a, a soother, we use rose water, but there's actually some better hydrosols we could be using. Like we could use things like bay leaf or like all sorts of cool stuff. So we're going to start working on more like 
barbershop specific hydrosols. And then I think that'll be part of a botanical, like botanical back bar line we want to work on. Yeah. Like how can we actually get a bar. How can we take the things that we use in the barbershop, expand on them even more that are specifically for barbers and then bring those things to barbershops because that to us is a, is a really, that, that like makes a really cool business, right? It's like, totally. is a, is building a botanical back bar. So that's, that's another thing we're working on. Um, and then, um, and then I think, uh, you know, if you go shampoo, skincare and shaving and all that, you've kind of covered it. Um, the other, the other thing is, uh, is deodorant. We worked on deodorant for a long time and then we had to, we had to pause because it was a one, it was like, we were running into the same problem where it's a lot of plastic. There's definitely now a lot of people make, like, if you look at like native deodorant or something, they, they make like now a cardboard, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah. case for deodorant. You could do that. But then we actually really started to like liquid deodorant as well. So there's lots of different paths, I think. Um, but that product just became a little too consuming. And it was also pretty far away from the barbershop. Like I said, like we have like 20 years to do this. So um, I think right now, while we have a barbershop, we want to be more focused on on barbers and barbering and, uh, and the barbershop more complete. So that's why we're we're there. Um, yeah, there's... Um, and so with that, there's like, there's one more, I think, really exciting thing we're working on. This is like the most exciting thing I've been working on lately is, um, so when we built the barbershop, um, I don't know how well, how much of it you've seen, um, but, uh, you know, there was lots of design decisions we made when building the barbershop that were based on the the building that we were given, right? Like, for example, none of the walls were smooth. They, they There's beams that poked out everywhere. And as you look at it and you measure it out, you're like, I want to put a mirror right there, but there's a beam there, which means that it can't sit flat, right? Yeah. So, the, so the first decision was we want to make the walls flush. So we, um, you know, when you when you when you look at our walls now, you'll notice that there's there's wood slats, right? Yeah. So part of the design process, it was actually crazy. Like the first thing we did, we take over the space, and then um, so it also had cement floors, right? Yeah. And I, I told the they, originally they were cement. So, but I but barbers don't want to stand on cement all day, right? So I we do, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, you can use mats, right? We we actually um, that's something. So in our basement is 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 cement, but but um, but anyway, so we uh, so I went to the owner and I was like, hey, I want to I want to bulldoze all the cement and put wood floors in. Are you okay with that? And he was like, yeah. There's one issue though, is that there's a hole in the back. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, there's a, there's going to be a big hole in the floor when you open it up. He's like, we poured cement years ago because there was an old staircase there. The staircase fell down. And then we, we were like, you know, let's just cover this whole thing with cement. And so I was like, okay, so so when I rip up the cement floor, there's going to be a hole in the back of the barbershop. And then um, so we, we do that. And then there's just this hole in the floor. And that used to be a staircase. And the staircase is all dilapidated. It was still there. So I could still kind of like, you could get down it, but it was going to break like any day. You know? Yeah. Um, and it had been covered up for 30 years, at least it was like, you know, I think he covered, he did that in the eighties. So then, um, so then I, but I said, okay, so if I do that though, can I have the basement underneath? And yeah. he said, yeah, but then you got to build a wall because I don't want you having the whole basement, but you can have the exact space beneath you. So then I was like, okay, so then, so we did that. We built a little rickety staircase and then we built a wall. And then for a while we used that for like a lunch space or whatever, like you could just hang out down there. And then we started to use it as an office. We started to build more product down there. And then in the pandemic, we were like, let's like, let's actually just build it out. So then we like, we, we built a proper staircase. We um, built a really cool office. Um, and then we put two barber chairs down there. 
Um, and then uh, actually our guys were able to cut down there during the pandemic, right? So I don't know if everybody experienced that, but you know, people were putting paper up, uh, things like that. Um, San Francisco was shut down for like seven or eight months and a lot of our guys make money. So we were just like, you know, just do it, do whatever you want. There's chairs in the basement. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, then, but now, so I, to bring this full circle, we're launching the shampoo and conditioner to build the staircase. We had to basically forfeit our sink that was upstairs. We had a hair washing sink, but we had to kind of really build a proper staircase. So we had to kind of move the sink. And so anyway, we had to sacrifice a sink. And um, so now what we're doing is we are building us. We got a really cool sink downstairs, like a really great, you know, Takara Belmont chair, like the whole thing. Nice. And we got three new barber chairs. Um, we're going to build, we're building out a full, like we're really kind of completing the barbershop down there. So it's going to be really sick. We're like, um, so it's basically going to be like a second version of church that's in the basement. I'm super excited about it because it's, it's taking us from basically like where we were at originally was five chairs and we got the seven chairs, but now we're going to be at like a full eight, but like the downstairs is arguably going to be cooler than the upstairs. And I think it's like for customers already, it's always like this surprise where you go into church and you're like, wow, this place is really cool. But then you go downstairs and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Right. And so yeah. I think as we as we now we're kind of like doing the final design punches on the downstairs, we hope to get that done in like late, late January, early February. And that'll be hopefully around the same time we launch the shampoo. So then you're now we're actually like using the shampoo conditioner in the shop. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that like we're we plan on using the shampoo and conditioner bars in the shop. Um, we don't plan on using liquid soap. Um, and I think that it could, they could be used as bar back in a barbershop to answer that question. Um, but that said, I mean, we do have a liquid version. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that, that would be, that is a product that we do want to wholesale as well to other barbershops, the, um, conditioner bars. I wanted to touch on the cool, like, I love like the wood slats and all yeah. that. I love how that, like, the product shelves kind of are like laid into the walls too. Cause, and I was like looking at those, like, how did they do that? And, I, and it makes total sense. Now you had to, you had to have had a, uh, like some space there. Right. So I figured there was something like a wood slat or beam. That's, kind of a, you had yeah, like, that's exactly. It. So it's, a, it's, it's actually like a, what it was is it's, it's, it's a design challenge, right? With any design challenge, there's also a huge opportunity. So it's like, we walked into that space. We had cement floors, right? We gained a basement from it. We also had um, unflush walls and we needed flush walls in order to hang mirrors exactly where we wanted them. So when you have to create new walls, then you get the idea of like, well, what do we want our new walls to look like? And then um, that's where we came up with the idea for the wood slats, which actually came from uh, a church that um, I had been to uh, once that had wood slats in it. And I was like, that's a cool idea. Um, so it was like, the church it's not that's not church related at all but it just so happened to be that that was kind of where the concept came from and then what we did was we literally all of those are individually hung slats of uh dug fur we bought you know i don't even remember 1500 pieces of dug fur slats yeah. and we just literally hung like laid them down um against the wall and then each one of them you pull it off and then you like sand the side and then you hang each one but before we did that we actually had to, uh, we first painted the walls all black and then we put like little um, studs in them so that you could hang all the slats to it. And then uh, the crazy thing was, I remember once our, um, 
you know, we had the whole, we had all the windows covered and we just demoed everything. Um, we actually painted the floor uh, all like one color and then we put ramp board down. And now the whole place is like just bare. And, um, and then we put all the studs up to hang the wood. And then we're just painting everything black. And it's like me and my wife in there and we're just in there just painting everything black. And the landlord like popped in the door and he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You know? And I was like, no, no, don't worry. It's not going to be a big black room. He's like, he's like, black. no one likes black. You can't paint the place black. I'm like, trust me, it's going to look, it's going to look really good when it's done. And he thought we were totally insane. He was like, God, who did I rent to? This is, this is going to be a disaster. Um, yeah. And then, and then, you know, we, we hang the wood and I remember we, he came to our opening party and he was like stunned. He could not believe what we did there. You know, um, he thought we were like, so I know those, the the original kind of beams that were there. Can you see those anymore, or are those like kind of are like basically the slats kept flush with that, or do they cover those even? Yeah, they they so they came right out in front of the of the um st of the big like sort of beams um, that were in the wall. And they support um, beams, like you couldn't remove yeah, them. Yeah, they're in, in movable support yeah. beams. They actually exist downstairs too, which is kind of a problem because we did like this Venetian plaster all downstairs yeah. over the wall, walls that we had to build. And once you do Venetian plaster, you don't want to do it again because it's a lot of work. And yeah. um, we usually do a lot of the stuff ourselves. Like um, my wife really likes, we we actually both really enjoy doing Venetian plaster. It's like something that we, we did our bathroom with it. And then we were like, we should do the barbershop like that. So we, we, um, we did that, but uh but once you put it down, you really don't want to open it up because if you open it up at all, then you've you basically got to redo the whole thing. So anyway, we um, we have that beam downstairs and we're going to just design around it this time. We're putting we're spacing the mirrors correctly. It's going to be just three mirrors on the wall and then the shampoo sink. So it'll be um, it's just a different design challenge. But like I said, like you always kind of figure out an opportunity from it. I know that's the that's the fun part is. Some of that stuff can be so stressful, like, oh, well, this doesn't work because of this. But yeah. that's where the coolest ideas come from. These have to yeah. be like creative and problem solve. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the uniqueness in barbershops or really any small business build out and design kind of can come from. It's yeah. how do we how do we fix this? Like, this is a huge problem. We have this issue. And then you figure it out. And then everyone's, you know, the clients come in, man, I love the walls. I love that. And you're like, yeah. I yeah. I hated it. Now I love it. But it was, you know, and then they love the story. Well, we had this. And so we figured this out and then blah, blah, blah. We had this idea and we love yeah. it. And, oh, yeah. Ties in well with that. And it's just, I don't know. It just, it gives a character. It's so it's at the time you're dealing with it. It sucks. It's so stressful. It's yeah. you're like, I just wish this didn't exist. But honestly, I think that's where some of the coolest design factors of like any build out really come from. So kudos yeah. to you guys for figuring out because the space is beautiful and it's it's so cool. How did you guys, and then, so I remember, and I asked you a long time ago on Instagram, how, like how you did that mural on the floor and not the painting. Cause yeah, yeah it's um, on hardwood. Yeah, but yeah. You got rid of the concrete. So was it just like slate on gray, just like, just kind yeah, of yeah. Like rubble? So it's, it's actually, um, if you, it's kind of a, you know, it's a job on Instagram to do this, but if you, um, if you go to our very first, I think it's like our first two or three posts that we actually, I put a little camera up when we did the floors oh, and I, sure. and I time-lapsed it. So we have the floor time-lapse, um, but it was actually done by a sign painting company 
uh, called New Bohemian Signs in San Francisco. We mm -hmm. had to design the whole thing, right? Um, they can do anything you want once you design it for them. But so we laid out the design for the floor and then they came in and they did this process. And I remember when the guy was doing it, he said, this is actually like one of the oldest processes for um, for painting that exists. Like he was like, this literally was how um, the, uh, what was it? Like, what's the, um, is it the Sistine Chapel? No, where's the, where they did the, you know, the the great ceiling in. Um, in oh. Yeah. The, um, so. yeah, yeah. So that he was like, this is like how they used to, to, to paint in old churches. This is how you would do a giant mural is you lay down the design um, and then you fill it in. So I forgot what the process was, but um, it's all in that video. And you can see him sort of like going around. And then when he takes the paper off, like the outline is there. And then he lays down the paint. The crazy thing was he put down sign paint. He used sign paint. And I was like, and it's called one shot, the um, the sign paint. I guess mm -hmm. for sign painters, they'd like to use a really strong paint. Um, it's like a very, it's like an oil-based paint so that you don't have, and I think they call it one shot so that you, it's like one shot kills. You just put it on and then it's on. Yeah. But um, but the trouble with it is it's actually um, it's not sealed. It's not floor paint. It's not. And there's no sealer over it. And actually, because it's oil based, it's really hard for a sealer to take it. So once he finished it, then I was like, shit, how are we going to seal this? Yeah. Um, I, I thought he was going to use floor, floor paint because that's what I um, that's what I had asked him to do. And he's like, no, I use one shot. And I was like, oh, OK. So then um, we had to then wait for it to dry. And then we had to like sand it super lightly and try not to get like, try not to mess it up. And then we we had, a, I did all this research. I eventually found a guy who did basketball gyms at like um, at middle schools in San Francisco. Yeah. And I had him come seal it. And he was like, oh, I got just the stuff. Don't worry about it. And then he like basically sealed it like you seal a basketball court. Yeah. Um, and then that that was the, that is the sealer that's on top of it. It has started to, you know, to come up over the years. It shows a lot of character now. Like you can yeah. see certain people who wore who wear boots when they cut hair, like that, that those little spaces are like more beat up than others. Like people that wear sneakers, like it's a little more kept there. Um, so it's it's cool. I mean, we've thought about like repainting it, but actually like it's now got like five years of cutting hair on it. And it, I think it, the wear is is like it just adds to the coolness. Yeah, yeah. I agree. yeah. Like it's you, you put all this effort and work into it. Yep. And so to see it kind of get scuffed, you're kind of like, oh God, but I don't know, man. I think it would probably just add character and it's, it's cool over the, over the course of years and with the success of the business, yep. it's just kind of like those like natural little scars that just come, just come yep. with daily wear and they're just cool to me. So, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things in the shop actually, and I don't think we show it enough in pictures, but it's actually the sofa. Um, and it's, uh, in, in the upstairs, we, um, there's these two giant uh, beams that were put in for earthquake protection. They're, um, they're like these big seismic beams that will keep the building safe in case of a major earthquake. Mm -hmm. and, um, those got put in right before we moved in. And so the, um, the, uh, the part of our design process became like, shit, we were gonna put a sick ass sofa there. Like we were gonna do a custom made you know, sofa. And then um, the guys that we had, uh, like we kind of came up with the concept for it and then they had to come design it. They had to actually then build it around those beams. And so it, it looks super cool because it's like this sofa that's been like sort of built into the beams. Yeah. And you don't, even, you don't really notice it when you're there unless you really like look and then you're like, how did they build this sofa? Like when you think about it, then you realize like, man, it's got like a, cause I, I mean, you know, I remember them putting it in, like it's, you, you, I mean, it's all built around it. There's like these crazy bones underneath the sofa where they had to build around these giant steel beams. 
Um, but it's that's probably one of my favorite pieces. And then it's also this really cool um, Italian leather that we chose at this leather place in San Francisco. And I remember when we chose the leather, I was like, I'm not a huge fan on this blue, but Daniel, um, our designer, was like, dude, trust me, this is going to age so well because it's going to get hit by sun yeah. all the time and it's going to look so sick. And now it's like literally like one side of it is not blue anymore. It's like this super cool gray color from just taking sun all day. Yeah. Um, and it's still like as strong as ever because it's just a really strong, you know, leather. So there's little decisions like that you make and then you, you know, you build in the age factor because, you know, you know, he was smart enough to know that like this, this is going to take a lot of sun from where it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but That's yeah, those, those things are the things that I, um, that I like, I look at now and I'm like, those are, those are some of my favorite parts of it. I think one thing that I want to do more of and be better at is, um, is actually, uh, helping people with, with their projects. I think with, with anything, it's like, um, unless you kind of tell, make yourself, uh, available as a resource, a lot of people won't use you as a resource. And that's something that like, I want to start bringing to barbers more. Like we I get a ton of value from barbers. They, they teach me so much. I also get a lot of friendship out of them and, you know, yep. um, we get a lot of value from them. So I want to give value the other way, teach them the things that I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one thing that, that I, the first thing I'll always tell people if they say, how do you do something or how do you get that is like, it's really important to like slow down and do it right. Because it, it's, it's so tempting to just like, say, I want to get a logo. Like, how do I, I want a business. I want a brand. I want to slap it on there and I want to sell it. Right. Yeah. That's so tempting, you know, and then there's going to be a company that emails you and is like, hey, we make custom razors and custom scissors, right? Slap your logo on it and sell it. And it's like, you know, that's tempting, right? But like, but there's no, it's obviously not unique if they're going to you and going to everybody saying, you know, put your name on this. So I think it's like, um, what I would always advise is like, you know, like really, really think about it. Like, where can you add extra value? How can you, you know, how can you create something that's new and unique? And how can you put your own spin on it? And don't, you know, you don't need to do it tomorrow, right? Like, but, exactly. but you can always be taking steps, like build a real plan, do it the right way. Life is long, you know, you don't, you don't have to like, um, jump in and, and do it tomorrow. So I well, think you that's mentioned like, it earlier about barbershops and kind of like, how are you going to make church barber like unique, you know, and yeah. it's it's kind of its own thing and that was kind of with me and rosemont obviously it was just like and it's hard to explain sometimes because it sounds like you're talking shit about everybody else right yeah. and that's sometimes why i get a little it's it's a bit, it's a bit challenging sometimes to tell, like when people are like oh why rosemont why did you open a barbershop and there's so many people that just open it and open yeah. businesses because one they didn't like the guy they were working for before they think they can do it better they want freedom which as you know as a small business owner you have even less freedom as you expand yeah. and open businesses. But it's, you know, people, there's all these kind of reasons that like, oh, it's, a, you know, I'll, I'll make more money. I'll do this. I'll do that. And, or you're really passionate and you want to bring something new, whether that be to the world or just your city or just your state or, you know, anything. And it was, again, it kind of sounds like you're talking shit because you're like, well, you know, I wanted to do create Rosemont for these specific reasons. And that's not to say that there aren't amazing barbershops in Denver. Cause there's tons, honestly, our scene in, for barbershops in Denver is fantastic. Yeah. We have all these great shops that have come before Rosemont, 
but they weren't doing things that I felt necessary in a barbershop space. They weren't doing, there was just, there was something, I don't want to say missing because that sounds rude. <laughs> you see how yeah. hard this is? I don't want to say like, because they all suck. No, they were amazing, but it was just, yeah. th- I had this one vision of like how I think things should be done. And it's just my way. And it's not the right way. It's not the wrong way. It's just my way. Yeah. I gen- genuinely just felt, hey, it needs to be done this way. Nobody's doing it with these little nuances. I want to create this. And yeah. you kind of just have to go for it, right? And it's, yeah. but yeah, thanks again, Ryan. It was awesome chatting with you. And this was fun. I, I, um, I've got two reasons to go to Denver now, you and Barbara Theory. So I'll try to make it out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should all just like go out and grab a dinner or something like that and just kind of okay. sit down and hang. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool.